San Diego's talk radio leader, 760 KFMB presents It's Your Money and Your Life. For the next hour, Richard Musio and Joe Vecchio will educate and inform you on matters related to your financial future, your life, and your leisure. Now, with It's Your Money and Your Life, here are Richard and Joe. All right. Hello, everybody. My name, my name is Joe Vecchio, your co-host, announcer, and producer, coming to you with 50,000 watts of power from KFMB. Uh, we are heard not just in San Diego County, but Orange County, L.A. County, up the coast of Seattle on a good night, down to Cabo, out to the desert. If you download the app for 760KFMB, you can hear us on your smartphone or other device. And all these podcasts are on iymoney.com, uh, commercial-free, Monday and thereafter. And also on our uh, page here at KFMB 760. Uh, now time to introduce the main man of the hour. He's a CPA extraordinaire. He's an accomplished marathon runner. He's the best-selling author. He's a philanthropist. And he is a family office expert advising several high net worth families. His name is Richard Musio. Richard, how are you tonight? I'm doing well, Joe. I'm enjoying <laughs> daylight savings time. <laughs> oh, isn't that great? At last. I'm telling you. And uh, we're t- actually taping this during St. Patty's Day week, so we hope everybody had a great St. Patrick's, so safe and uh, happy St. Patrick's Day. We're all wearing Day. green today. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, let's see, anything to announce that's going on this week or went on this week that uh, we should tell people about, or uh, should we get... I'm, I'm taking off down to the desert to watch some tennis. Oh, that is right. That's yeah. the, uh, the um, Indian Wells, right? Yeah. Who do you think is going to win that in the men's and the women's? Well, we're probably going to air this after they've won. So let's, I think Djokovic is going to win the men's and Serena is going to win the women's. Might as well go for the number one seed. Okay, why not? So why we'll not? find out if I'm right. Okay, we'll get the full report from you uh, next, uh, next next time, time around. So, yeah. But anyway, um, let's launch right into the show. We've got a very interesting guest uh, for you tonight. Uh, I bumped into this gentleman, I believe, at uh, City Club or... Um, um, We'll, we'll refresh my memory when we talk. But uh, this gentleman uh, works at UCSD Healthcare, but uh, he's got he's developed some other wonderful causes, family related, um, in support of the greatest generation and in support of our senior citizens. And his name is Aaron Bizek. Aaron, how are you tonight? I'm doing fine. Thanks for having me. Yeah, our, our absolute pleasure. Pleasure. Well, you you are. Where did we meet again? I, uh, I refresh me. We met at the City Club for oh. at the lecture by Richard Dreyfus. Ah, actor who is also going to do this show, by the way. So thank uh, thank you for refreshing me on that. So uh, I guess I need a few memory cells myself. But uh, in any case, uh, why don't we start with you, and then we'll get into your family and your causes because you've got a, a, a fascinating background uh i know you're, you've won emmy awards uh, uh you know public relations awards uh you got a regents award you're one of the 40 under 40 to watch just like uh, sean puckett right uh, richard except sean i think just turned 40 <laughs> so he's no longer on the list but i mean they had the award yeah so. yeah so anyway but uh you have a very impressive um you know background here but tell us a bit about your personal history Aaron, and then we'll get into your family stuff well, it's interesting. I, I don't think that you can really separate my personal history from the family stuff. Mm-hmm. I actually grew up in Carlsbad, mm. um, and I grew up in a family of pretty severe alcoholism and drug addiction. Hmm. Um, both my parents were addicted to drugs. My mom was addicted to meth uh, until I was a junior in high school. And so because of that, um, I, I actually was very connected with my grandparents, much more so than many other people are. Uh, and always had an affinity for them and for their generation. And so that actually, as I went into my professional career, worked in emergency medical services, I worked on the ambulance for the first 
six and a half years of my life and my professional life, it actually translated very well because many of my patients were elderly. Hmm. And so I always had a, an ability to communicate with them in a way that was different than many of my contemporaries. But let's give it, so let, you, you grew up, you had an addiction in your family, um, schooling. I mean, where did you get the, the gumption and drive to uh, pursue education and, and um, not get involved in that stuff but, yourself? But where did you go to high school in Carlsbad? I went to Carlsbad High School. Nice. There you go. Yeah, and, uh, you know, I high school was, <laughs> was def- I was not a, a great student in high school. Mm-hmm. I actually didn't start undergraduate school until I was 24. Hmm. Um, I, I had dabbled a little bit before that in college, but really was ill prepared because my family had not really prepared me to go to college. Right. And it wasn't until I realized what I wanted to do with my life, and that was to study health policy and impact health policy, that I went back to school and registered at a junior college, Miracosta. Mm-hmm. And then you finished up there, and then what? Then you got into the um, EMT work, or? No, actually, I was an EMT before that, and mm-hmm. uh, and I finished at Miracosta College. Met my wife there, actually, which is great on the first day of school, which is always a always a bonus. <laughs> and uh, and then I went to Chapman University, finished my undergrad degree, undergrad degree there, and then went to UC Irvine and got my MBA in healthcare management. There you go. So your your grandparents must have been an influence on you, uh, right? Or- they were a huge influence on me, actually, when I made the decision to leave emergency medical services. Because I was basically online to become a firefighter paramedic and I decided that I wanted to study health policy and and really advocate for changes in policy. Mm -hmm. I went to my grandfather, who was a self-made man, a self-taught intellectual, and I asked him his opinion. And he said, well, you have to go to school and you have to get professional experience. And so I kind of followed that path and Mm -hmm. went and achieved what I could achieve simultaneously working full-time and going to school full-time. Did you get some scholarship help or whatever? Because, you know, college isn't inexpensive. And uh, how did that work for you? Your parents didn't, did your parents help much with tuition or? No, I paid for it all myself. There was one $500 scholarship, but other than that, that's that's all I got. You paid your way through with the EMT um, monies you earned and and whatever, right? And I'm still paying my way through. (laughs) (laughs) And will be for some time. So I'm curious, did you live with your grandparents for some time? I, I did on and off. You know, there was there was a point when I was uh, 10 or 11 and my mom actually abandoned us. We went to live with my grandparents then, lived with my grandparents a little bit later. But the great thing was, is that even if I lived in a kind of a, a rough environment, I mean, my brother and I slept on the floor uh, together with a dog for 11 years. I was still able to escape and go to my grandparents' house and see how I really should be living mm-hmm. rather than how I was living at my house. But your story is really inspirational, and I know you do teach at, college, at, at high schools uh, because of what you overcame, and here you, you, got a, you achieved an MBA degree and a F-A-C-H-E, which you want to tell us what that is as well? And that's Fellow of the American College of Healthcare Executives. There you go. And then at UCLA, Anderson School of Management, you, know, you were there, right? Got yeah, I did. I did a couple of certificate programs, one at UCLA and one at Cornell, both in leadership. Mm-hmm. So when you lecture in schools, you tell, you, you get this personal with the students, uh, with this story? or 100%. That's yeah. the only, it's the only way that you can be legit with them. Yeah. It's the only way that you can connect with them. I bet it gets their attention right away because they're probably kids in the school are struggling with the similar situations, right? Absolutely. And, you know, early on when I first started being really open about this, I was teaching in schools and I was 
teaching things about like staying away from drugs and alcohol because I've actually never had alcohol in my life. I never had a drug and never had anything. It's just part of the decision I made when I was a kid. Uh, and I would have kids come up to me after the lectures and tell me their stories, which were in some situations much worse than what I was dealing with. Mm -hmm. And they were inspired to, to, to go on and do something different. They had felt that they were caught in a rut, so to speak, and that they weren't going to be able to escape. And, you know, anytime that you can show people that they can do what they want to do, it's, you know, so you must, I mean, your story is pretty incredible. Obviously, uh, talking about your parents' issues and then any siblings that, uh, did they get caught into that trap at all? Or uh, I have two siblings. Uh, my brother, straight and narrow, doing great, has a family. My sister kind of fell a mm -hmm. little here and there, stumbles here and there, but she's my sister, so we, we yeah. stick together. Well, you know, they say a lot of kids, uh, they start, right, they go right into the medicine cabinet. That's where they start finding all the stuff, right? That's right. So, But, um, all right, so you got the degrees, and um, and and uh, then what happened? Well, really, things started to, you know, I, I, I left emergency medical services to impact health policy, and the reason I wanted to was because of how I saw seniors being treated uh, at skilled nursing and assisted living facilities. And I tried to impact that early on in my career and really ran up against a brick wall, went and decided to focus on hospitals for, for quite some time. And that's where I work right now. Um, but that wasn't until January 2013, actually February 2013, when my grandmother um, died as a result of negligence and neglect in an assisted living facility. Mm -hmm. Did your interest start because your grandmother moved to an assisted living facility or was it because you were working with older no, it was because people. I was on an ambulance and I was responding to these facilities okay. every day and right. I saw how poorly people were being treated. Well, on that note, we're going to take our little break right now, Aaron. We're going to come right back with Aaron Bizak to talk about Hazel's Army and the Greatest Generation. Stay tuned. AM 760 KFMB. We're back with Evan Bizak. He's Director of Government and Community Affairs for UC San Diego Health Sciences. He works over with the people at the hospital and the School of Medicine and the School of Pharmacy, et cetera, et cetera. But uh, Aaron, we left off with, I guess, your grandmother at her health care facility. So you want to tell us that whole experience? But, but before that, before we talk about that, can you talk about the kinds of issues you were running into when you were going to facilities regularly? As part uh, of your job? Yeah, the issues I was running into were uh, people were being neglected. People would have major medical issues, traumatic injuries, and the facility staff wouldn't call 911. Um, they would allow people to basically decompensate to the point of where there was no turning back. I also saw a lot of very poor care as far as cleanliness and things like that, and I thought, boy, you know, this is the, the greatest generation. This is the greatest generation that won World War II. And this is how they're being treated. And I decided that impacting policy at a broader level would be the way to actually impact it on a broader scale. Okay. Uh, can I ask a, a question? I guess it's an opinion. I've, I've spent a lot of time at assisted living homes because of what I do for a living as well as a variety of um, relatives. And uh, were, were most of the injuries due to falls or tripping or... Many of the injuries were due to falls, um, the, the traumatic injuries, but then you had a lot of things like bed sores sure, uh, and things uh, which are really caused by inattention. I was gonna, that was going to be my next question. Is it, is it because people are, tend to be left unattended? That's right. And, and many of the facilities are actually understaffed. And so, mm -hmm. you know, with people who are at risk for bed sores, you, you need to turn them quite frequently. Right. 
and people are literally just not being turned and they develop these horrendous bed sores that lead to sepsis and all these other things that which lead to death. Right. Or if, or if they happen to fall, they're not being checked on frequently enough that anybody would in a timely manner notice that they fell. That's right. And there's a lot of facility staff members who are scared to call 911, which really falls into the category of what happened to my grandmother. Mm-hmm. And let's talk about that. So what happened was my grandmother was wheelchair bound and she was a dementia patient. Uh, she had lucid intervals, so she would be able to talk to you. Mm-hmm. Uh, and she knew who we were, but they took her out on a facility van on a sightseeing excursion one day. When they did, they strapped her wheelchair into the van, van but they failed to strap her into the wheelchair. Mm. And so they were speeding up to make a light, and the light was turning yellow to red. And at the last second, the driver decided to slam on the brakes, and when he did, she flew out of her wheelchair. Yeah. And she flew between six and eight feet and slammed into the metal seats ahead of her. Uh, and even though she had obvious injuries, they picked her up, put her back in the chair, did not call 911, continued on the tour, took her back to the facility after the tour was over, told everyone, and even though, again, she had obvious injuries, no one called 911. I found her four and a half hours later, and having been an EMT, I recognized instantly that she was very gravely injured, and when I did an assessment of her, I found that she actually had a severely broken right leg. I was going to say, I was guessing she must have broken some bones. Yeah, she had a head injury, shoulder injury, arm injury, and her uh, she had a uh, spiral fracture of her right tibia and fibula, mm-hmm. which is a very serious injury. Right. Uh, and I had to force them, literally yell at them and force them to call 911. And the ultimate irony is that the fire station is literally next door to this facility. Mm-hmm. Wow. And so she was taken to the hospital... Um, and uh, unfortunately, she died a few days later as a result of those injuries. Hmm. So that uh, obviously fired you up to do something, and Hazel's Army has formed, but uh, what next steps did you take from there? Well, we called for an, a state investigation of the facility, mm-hmm. and the Department of Social Services is the one that does that, and they came and they did an investigation, and they found that the company, the, the facility, had violated three major rules type A citations, they call them, the most egregious ones. And the total fine for killing her was $150. Yeah, I was going to guess. I was going to say it was next to nothing. Yeah, it was $150, which was the maximum under state law. Yeah, Unbelievable. And so when that happened, you know, that that adds insult to injury. Mm -hmm. And so when you have that happen and seeing all the rules that have been violated in her case and then going back to my background, I said, okay, we're tackling assisted living reform this year. And so I had written an open letter on Facebook, which many people do nowadays. Mm-hmm. Um, and in, in that I said, I had warned these facilities that I was coming and that I am now 12 years later, um, much more knowledgeable and skilled. And I have many more friends than I had before. And then I'm bringing an army of people with me and hence a Hazel's army was born. Mm-hmm. So qu- question the facility, uh, did, did they have a history of issues or was this an um an odd situation for them no they most certainly didn't i didn't find out about that till afterwards um and and that's actually one of the problems that we identified is this lack of transparency you know in the state of california previously you had to go physically to one of eight facilities throughout the state and comb through paperwork to find information Mm -hmm. about violations and they had actually that facility had been cited a year and a half before for failing to call 911 and that person died. They actually found that person not breathing and they waited 30 minutes to call 911, which is just unconscionable. 
Hmm. And so when, when that happened, we started to make a list of all the things that we thought needed to be changed. And I wrote some draft legislation and I went and spoke to legislators that I work with on a daily basis. Would you and, like to, would you like to name some? Or? Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. Brian Mainshine was one of them. Mm-hmm. Assemblyman Mainshine, mm-hmm. Assemblyman Rocky Chavez, um, majority leader at the time, then became speaker, Tony Atkins, mm-hmm. Assemblywoman Shirley Weber, Senator Marty Block, and Assemblywoman Marie Waldron. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I should also point out that very soon after my grandmother's death, UT San Diego came out with a scathing expose about assisted living facility deaths called deadly neglect. Mm-hmm. And, my, and my grandmother's case was one of the ones profiled in there. And so that built a lot of support in the community, particularly from the elected officials. Mm-hmm. And that coupled with some really egregious things that had happened in the Bay Area, where an entire assisted living facility had been abandoned by the staff and left all the, pay, <laughs> left all the residents there. Um, the elected officials in San Francisco came together with elected officials in San Diego and the RCFE residential care facility for the elderly reform act of 2014 was the result. Mm-hmm. And, um, Eric, how much time do we have till the, to the break? Seven. Seven okay. Um, anyway, the, um, you want to, you want to highlight what's in that act? Yeah, there was quite a few things, you know, from San Diego, we had um, some pretty important legislation. One from Brian Mainshine uh, was actually to increase that $150 fine. And we actually got it up to $15,000. Well, that gets their attention. So. Yeah, which we, we called it the Just Add Two Zeros campaign. That's the, that's <laughs> you, think really, you think that really got their attention? Yeah, yeah, it most certainly did. Okay. It was the one, the most, one of the most contentious ones, ones that they was fought it? the hardest. Okay. Uh, that's we all, per, per incident, right? Yeah, yeah. that's right. So, yeah, and so we also had a bill that passed and was signed into law by Tony Atkins and, and Assemblywoman Weber that mandated liability insurance for these facilities. They previously didn't have to have any. Oh my gosh! Which is un- unthinkable. I mean, <laughs> if you hired somebody to put in a koi pond at your house, licensed you'd have to be bond. licensed, bonded, insured, yeah. right? Uh, and but you can you know run a facility of 150 people and not carry liability insurance previously. We also carried a bill to to put all of those violations online mm. in a searchable database. That bill was carried by Marie Waldron and got killed in the legislature, but the administration ended up doing it anyways, and that's in a beta form now. So you can actually go online for any facility that the Department of Social Services regulates, which includes child care, foster care, and assisted living, and search their major violations. Can you give the website on that, or uh, it's just on Department of Social Services, California, California. Department, yeah. Department. Yeah, Google DSS. That. I okay. believe it is. All right. Um, and so we, we carried bills like that. We also uh, carried uh, a, a variety of other bills throughout the state of California with other partners. We were either sponsors, co-sponsors, or supporters of Residents' Bill of Rights and a variety of other things that were um, pretty significant. Also, Senator Block carried on um, two bills, one that whistleblower protection for those who call 911, which is very important. Mm-hmm. Uh, so people can feel you know, free to call 911 in those cases. We also had a bill that would double the amount of training uh, for the frontline staff. Because in California, to work with a dementia patient, you only had to have 10 hours of training. And to give you an example, in California, you have to have 1,600 hours to cut hair. Oh but 10 God. hours to work with dementia. So we got that doubled to 20. And on the administrator side, it previously was only 40 hours of training to get a certificate to be an administrator. And now it's 100. 
Are, are there rules or regulations um, here in California or any other state uh, with regard to uh, mandatory staffing? That is to say, as a function of the patients in a facility, how many hours or people um, there have to be present to cover? I don't know if there's a per person staffing the way it is with nursing and hospitals. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I have found is that they have to they have to be able to provide enough staffing to attend to the needs of the number of patients that they have or number of residents that they have. And in those facilities where there's a hundred plus people, oftentimes at night you might have one or two people on duty, which is nowhere near enough to to turn. Well, I, I, I found that a lot of the elderly elderly folks I know don't necessarily sleep regular hours, and so nighttime can be very dangerous. That's right. That's uh, absolutely right. And that's, but the homes don't seem to know that yet. They're the one, I mean, but they have all these people there where you could just observe it. Well, yeah, they, they, they know that. They unfortunately don't do a whole lot about it because ultimately the bottom line is, are you making money or are you not right. making money? Right. Well, that's uh, terrific there. Did you get some help from uh, some of the doctors and nurses you work with or any guidance uh, um over at uh, the university or to, this more mostly just your... This, your, is, this is really my own thing. Mm-hmm. And we, we were able to grow Hazel's Army to now has 750 supporters, and mm-hmm. many of whom are quite influential. Hmm. And so we worked with other advocacy groups throughout the state. And, and you know, we, we, we can't take credit for, you know, the, the entirety of what happened. I mean, the fact is that it takes a lot of people coming together, mm-hmm. working through a lot of ideas to make these things happen. But they ended up passing 13 bills in well, the state legislature, which is almost unheard of in California. Well, just to get an idea, how many senior facilities like this are there just, let's say, in San Diego County alone? Uh, I believe in San Diego County, there's uh, 500 or so. There's wow. several. There's about 8,000 throughout the state of California. There's hundreds of thousands of, of people living in these facilities. And these facilities range in size from six people all the mm. way up to hundreds of people. With, with but, tremendous projected growth in terms of residency. No, that's exactly right. And mm. I mean, you, you've heard it referred to oftentimes as a silver tsunami, the right. aging yeah. of, the, of, the, of the baby boomer population. And that's why we thought it was so important that if there was ever a time to do it, now was the time to get it done. But out of those 8,000 or even 500 here, uh, what percentage would you say really, you know, were the were a real problem? I, I can, you know, we can't, it's not good to indict an entire no, industry. Uh, um, there probably was a few bad apples and they, right? Uh, well, you know, the, 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 dif- the difficult thing is that they had such lax regulation that you really don't know how much stuff is really going on. Mm-hmm. I mean, under state law, you only had to be um, inspected once every five years. So they're doing better on inspections now and monitoring and everything? No, they, they actually, the state killed those, really? the, the, the legislation. Wow. We'll come back with more of this issue with Aaron Bizak with Hazel's Army and the Greatest Generation right after this. Hang on. All right, we're back with the second half of It's Your Money and Your Life, the award-winning show. Over to Richard to thank our sponsors. I'm going to thank our sponsors. Big thank you to UBS, Michael Carancha and Drew Freitas. Especially a big help this time of the year with getting us all the 1099s and K1s and stuff that we need for all of the uh, folks at the CPA firms work with. Never a dull moment during tax season, I guess. Speaking of that, our two favorite CPAs on the planet, Jason Kruger, CPA with Signature Analytics, the best CFO company here, now on the West Coast because he opened up a Denver office in addition to being here in San Diego. Also, Plato Epic CPAs, Don Epic and Paul Polito in their brand spanking new office in San Marcos, Plato Epic CPAs. Carl Sheeler with Berkeley Research Group, best business valuation firm on the planet, 
helping business owners improve and increase the values of their businesses by reducing the risks that drive those values. Speaking of making money, Joel Grushkin with Cost Segregation Initiatives. Cost segregation helps real estate owners improve their cash flow. Brenda Geiger, who's on vacation in Thailand. Good for her. Geiger Law Office, estate planning and asset protection. None of that going on this week because she's on vacation in Thailand. But when she gets back, she'll do tons of that for us. Lane Elliott, California Republic Bank. Very interesting niche bank here in UTC that specializes in working with family offices and wealthy families, those who own successful businesses in real estate. Hub, also known as, or formerly known as, or still known as Marsmatics Insurance. Neil Staley was just on, doing a great job talking about Health Care Reform Act and uh, where that's going over the next year or two. Stop Financial Elder Abuse Alliance. How's that for an appropriate topic? We're talking about a different form, I guess, tonight, but that would be Paul Hines with Hearthstone Wealth Advisory and Stop Financial Elder Abuse Alliance doing great work here in the San Diego community as well. And a new sponsor for this quarter because we have some events coming up. They're back. LG Experience and Lombardi Group helping wealth advisors make heroes out of CPAs so that CPAs can be heroes to their very best clients. In a couple of months, I mean, a couple of weeks, I'll talk about a couple of events that we have coming up. And last but not least, plugging my wife's upcoming professional tennis tournament in Carlsbad over Thanksgiving week. The Carlsbad Classic. Check out cldclassic.com. That's cldclassic.com. We're going to run that side by side with our Oceanside Turkey Trot like we don't have enough to do during Thanksgiving. Is that supposed to supplant the uh, women's tournament we used to have here? In, that in... one has been planted six feet under. So... <laughs> no, I said supplant. No, so... it's going to be much, much better than oh, that. okay. <laughs> um, so I guess yes. But... Okay, good, good. Anyhow, good. that's all of our sponsors. And if you want to know more about all of our sponsors, there's a couple of things you can do, right, Joe? Yes, absolutely. Get over to iymoney.com and get on our website and put your cursor right over the sponsor tab and there's a drop-down menu. You could find out all about their, their histories and their contact information right there. And I know they've been working with Richard for many, many years with great success, right? In some cases, many, 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 many years. Decades. Yes. <laughs> anyway, back with Aaron Bizek. He's in our studio here with us. He's Director of Government and Community Affairs for UC San Diego Health Services. He's been doing that since 2009, but... Uh, Got this great legislation going. I, I did see the UT article. It uh, came out in 2013. And you've done just terrific work legislatively, uh, you know, in a, in a relatively short amount of time. Some bills take several years to get through through the state, don't they, uh, Aaron? No, they most certainly do. I was actually quite surprised. I, I was anticipating we might get one or two through. Mm -hmm. But to have 12 or 13 <laughs> passed... It was, it was it was really quite surprising. Did they name any of uh, any of them after your uh, grandmother or no you know, no no they did Hazel's, not uh, Hazel's, Hazel's law yeah, <laughs> no 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 they they unfortunately did not. Well but, we ought to uh, we ought to make another know. we ought to make another law then yeah, to absolutely. name some of these laws. Oh, there's quite a few that still could be done. So. <laughs> But um, so we left off with uh, the fact that if you hadn't been in the in the healthcare business yourself as an EMT, you may not have they would not have discovered uh, all those injuries uh, that were caused by a neglect to your. No, that's your, exactly right, and and that was the question that really came to mind after I had found her was, boy, if I hadn't shown up and I hadn't done what I did for a living and been willing to speak up, 
and many of these people do not have a grandson who happened to show up and whatnot. Mm-hmm. How many times is this happening and people are not finding out about it and they die miserable deaths and nothing's happening. And so that's why we push so heavily for greater reform. Unfortunately, the way the state worked was they passed all the reforms that would be where the cost would be borne by the assisted living facilities and none of the reforms that were the cost would be borne by the state of California. Hmm. Which is, I guess, kind of to be expected sometimes by the state of California. Hmm. But uh, you said they found 27 other deaths. So this, was that countywide or statewide? That's that ca- countywide in the UT's Deadly Neglect series. Huh. And those are just the ones that they could prove. Yeah. They also found Department of Social Services investigators being bribed and paid off. They found all kinds of things. Oh, my gosh. Did people get in trouble? I hope, right? I sure hope they yeah. did, yeah. <laughs> Well, I guess the issue is staffing and communication, and uh, I could see where if someone doesn't have the skills or training or cannot communicate, whether there's a language barrier or whatever, that, uh, you know, it's not going to be a good outcome in a lot of situations. So, No, and you uh, have a lot of people that have dementia um, or, you know, some, some level of memory loss. And so they might not even remember some of these things that have happened or they are unable to communicate them effectively. Mm-hmm. So, so Aaron, I've noticed that we've gotten best results in in facilities when the the person or the family in question was, I guess you could say, wealthy enough to be able to afford in-home care while simultaneously being in a facility. But I realize that that's not an option for 90-something percent of our population. Um, Have you ever thought about trying to create a volunteer army that actually goes in and spends part of the day with people... um, just on a volunteer basis to help ensure their safety and, and security. Um, because again, we, we, we tended not to have the issues that we're talking about when we actually had an in-home care person there at the facility. But, but again, that's extremely expensive. Yeah, it's extremely challenging. You know, I mean, we, we've been trying to elevate the ombudsman program here in San Diego County mm-hmm. quite, quite a bit to get more people coming in to visit, to mm-hmm. check on folks. And actually, County Supervisor Diane Jacob and Supervisor Greg Cox led an initiative in 2014 to double the size of the long-term care ombudsman program in Seneca County, which mm-hmm. is pr- pretty significant. But we are now, as our kind of our second uh, volley with Hazel's Army, launched a program called Great Gen 2.0, right. which is really to to create an entire generation of people who are focused on the elderly and elderly because, issues. That's what I was hoping you would lead to, because yeah. I, I was just, we've been promoting the Servant Leadership Institute's event that was just held here for two um, days recently at the Coronado Marriott, where the point was made that, that there's a huge disconnect between Gen X and Y and whatever the next generation is going to be, and shall we say people over 70, late baby boomers and beyond, yet Yet the younger generation is looking for mentoring. The older generation is typically cast aside because either A, they're living too long, or B, they're so technologically um, not up to par in the 21st century that that they, they you know they can't communicate the way that younger people do. Yet, yet it seems like the ability to overlap the the extreme knowledge and wisdom. I mean, unless it's a memory care patient, but. But the, the tremendous knowledge and wisdom that people over 70, 75, and 80 have with the, the mentoring that younger people are crying out for but don't well, know how to find. Well, Aaron's addressed that with the greatest gen, so why don't you let him tell the story? He took two days off and did how many lectures there? I know? did uh, 12 40-minute presentations to high school <laughs> students at, uh, at Carlsbad High School, my alma mater. I reached out to them first. 
And it, the, the and you are exactly right, Richard. I mean, the, the the issue is is that there is this vast chasm that exists between, say, the greatest generation and m- millennials, so to mm-hmm. speak. And so, what my thought was was. We have the grandchildren of these greatest generationers who are my age. They're probably in their 30s and whatnot, who have a relationship with their grandparents that maybe a lot of other people didn't. Why don't we use them as essentially translators, as mm-hmm. a liaison, to bring their grandparents' amazing story, and in my case, I bring my grandfather's story, to this younger generation to show them about the sacrifices that, that seniors and elderly people made. And then when that is over, bring them in in the form of volunteers with seniors and veterans and whatnot, get to know senior issues, and then really have them sit down and have that intergenerational component where they share life experiences, perspective on history, insight. And that, I think, will help in the form of mentoring and really help this younger generation who has uh, you know, resources at their disposable, disposal that the greatest generation can't even fathom mm-hmm. um, to, to take that and become the next greatest generation. And so that's what Great Gen 2.0 is about. Mm-hmm. And so we launched it at Carlsbad High School. And uh, I went in and I pitched it to the high school uh, history teachers. And I thought maybe two or three classes might take it. And they called me and said, uh, yeah, uh, 38 classes. <laughs> and I said, wow, I have a full-time job. I got to take a few vacation days to do this. And so I went in and I told my grandfather's story. And we have to take a break. But the great thing about his grandfather was a contemporary of Lou Zamperini and the great, uh, you know, on Broken Story, which most of, us, most of us know. But we'll get about more into that after this break. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. AM 760 KFMB. We're back with Aaron Bizak, Director of Government and Community Affairs for UC San Diego Health Services, talking about uh, his grandmother and now his grandfather, uh, the greatest generation. So what did you tell those students about your grandfather, uh, Aaron? I basically told them his life story, and his life story is quite remarkable because he was actually a United States Marine, the 4th Marines, in the Philippines when the war started in World War II. Mm-hmm. And uh, early on, he was actually in something called the Battle of the Points, and he was shot 11 times and survived, uh, only to eventually escape Bataan and make it to Corregidor, where he was captured by the Japanese. And he spent three and a half years as a prisoner of war in Japan. And so I tell them the story of what he went through. From what year to what year? He was uh, that was from 1942 to late 1945. Hmm. Uh, and, you know, the tropical disease at the time and the torture he had, unfortunately, developed uh, gas gangrene in his leg while he was in prison camp. And they actually had to do surgery on him with no anesthesia, with a razor blade and a, and a, and a pair of tweezers. Yeah. Um, and so... Just, just giving them some insight into what life was like, and showing them pictures and things like that, and you know his time in Bilibid Prison and Cabana Tawan, and then eventually at a Mori Prison Camp, which is where Louis Zamperini was with Masahiro Watanabe, the bird as was made infamous and unbroken, mm-hmm. and uh, and actually telling the story of the torture that my grandfather uh, you know, received at the hands of the bird, which has actually led to my grandfather's second Purple Heart, and actually the loss of all the teeth in one side of his face, a broken jaw, and the loss of hearing in one ear. And so my grandfather, luckily, was eventually liberated at the end of the, end of the war, and uh, stayed in the Marine Corps, fought in Korea as well, um, and uh, did, a, did a full um, 
full career in the Marine Corps. And then when he got out, he actually had a ninth grade education. He decided to go to work in banking, started as a teller, and eventually worked his way up to become president and CEO of the bank. Um, and uh, interestingly, they settled in Vista, which is where my, my mom grew up. Uh, what bank was that? Uh, actually, multiple banks. So mm-hmm. eventually, he was uh, at the end, he retired from Rancho Santa Fe Savings and Loan. Mm-hmm. But he was with Security Pacific, National Bank, Home Savings, and groups like that. Wow. And it actually, interestingly, my grandfather was also the founding uh, president of Carlsbad High Noon Rotary. Uh, and a number of other groups up there and has the distinction of being the first non-Carlsbad resident to win Carlsbad resident of the citizen of the year. (laughs) 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 Pretty interesting stuff. And I save, I save for the end of the presentation, the big reveal. And that is that I'm his grandson. They, they really don't see it until the very end. And then I talk about how, you know, going back to the beginning of our conversation today, how my grandparents' generation really set the set the stage for me, you know, for for me being able to succeed in my life, and really calling upon them to reach out now before it's too late to hear from this greatest generation. Because you know, in the time that I give the presentation, twelve World War II veterans pass away. I mean, mm. one every three minutes. Now you brought in the plaque that's up at the Mount Soledad. Now his name was Wilfred Menching. And he went by Chick, yes. By, how did he get the nickname Chick? Uh, that, that might not be uh, okay. appropriate for okay. radio. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we'll talk after the show on that. But um, anyway, he was a Master Sergeant, U.S. Marine Corps, and uh, this plaque is up on Mount Soledad, correct? It is. It's overlooking the ocean. We've got a good spot. Outstanding. And he so. was a Bronze Star recipient with Combat V. Didn't get that till the 1990s. Finally, mm-hmm. all, the, all the men from Corregidor... Got that in the 1990s. Did, did you meet your grandmother before or after the war? No, it's really interesting is that he, after the war, when he, when he went into the Marine Corps, he was five foot 11 and 150 pounds. Mm-hmm. When he was liberated, he was five foot 11 and 96 yeah. pounds. Oh so God. they, so they fed him a bunch. And then, um, uh, he decided to stop by a friend's place in the Bay area before going home to Displains, Illinois. And he met my grandmother on a blind date mm-hmm. Was engaged two weeks later and married a few months after that on his birthday, December 18th, 1945. <laughs> Maybe that's how he got the nickname. <laughs> he moves fast. Exactly. He was moving quick. Well, there was Chick all marks, you know, and um, obviously he was a uh, favorite with the women too. So <laughs> I don't know if you know that, but that's a true story. Chico Groucho was a grouch. And obviously, um, your grandfather was uh, pretty successful as well. Well, that is, you know, what a story this guy, you know, you hear so many veterans coming back with uh, so many issues uh, and who had more worse circumstance than this and became a real, a true professional with a ninth grade education. I mean, how, how inspiring is that? So, uh, and that's the whole uh, point is really to bring an inspirational story to these young people and give them a different perspective on seniors and on the elderly. And what you can overcome in life, right? That's exactly right. And, and, and how that can live on through future generations and really trying to inspire these young people to not only meet seniors out in the community, but talk to seniors in their own family, mm-hmm. find out their stories, write down their perspectives. And that's really what we're going to do next is try to gather some of these intergenerational perspectives and hopefully put them into a book that we can pass down to future generations. Oh, the stories at Assisted Living Homes are beyond belief. Unbelievable. They're yes. unbelievable. Yes. Well, I mean, the success of your grandfather overcoming this is, um, you know, a lot of kids feel like... How am I ever going to make it in life? How am I going to get successful? Then you hear this story where, you know, the physical and mental torture, which, you know, we don't have to go through that in uh, 
typically not to this degree, you know, uh, as as teenagers. No, and when um, I was when I was a teenager and going through some relatively difficult times with my family, I would always think about because I knew my grandfather's story. I say, look, if my grandfather could survive three and a half years of being tortured and worked as a slave, I can survive this. I can make it to a point of where I can be successful too. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Now there's a website, isn't there? Is there do you we, have- we have a Facebook page. It's Facebook uh, slash Hazel's Army. So mm-hmm. I invite invite everyone to join Hazel's Army and list in Hazel's Army and go. learn more about Gretchen 2.0. If you want us to come out and do a presentation at your school or at your youth group or at senior centers, please let me know and we will be more than willing to do that. Yeah. What's a good way to get a hold of you? You, and you want to give out your email or something? Yeah. Best way is hazelsarmy at yahoo.com. Hazelsarmy at yahoo.com. Terrific. And um, so, do you have children? I do. I have two, actually. How my, old? Uh, my son is seven. My daughter just turned one. My son's name is Adam Wilfred after okay. my grandfather, and my daughter's name is Cassandra Hazel after my grandmother. Isn't that outstanding? So, Aaron, thank you so much for being our guest. Congratulations on all the success and much continued success to you and Hazel's Army and the Greatest Gen program. So, Richard, always great to see you. And we'd like to thank Eric Wilkava, our sound engineer, for making us sound great. Thanks, Eric. Thanks to Craig Blanke, who's off to Italy for a few weeks. Our, and uh, we I told him, watch out for the gypsies. Yeah, absolutely. His daughter already got robbed in her and, first week. And thank, well, Oh, my gosh. And anyway, thanks to Dave Smith, our programming genius here at KFMB. You have a great week, everybody. We'll see you next time. IYMoney.com for all these podcasts. Good night now.